And good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We thank you for spending some time with us, and we're glad that you're here. Hope that you are doing well today. And uh, let me remind everyone, if this is your first time with us, that we are so honored and privileged to have you with us, and we are excited that you've chosen to spend time with us. You can learn more about all that we do in our digital campus during this season of COVID at newarcupc.info. And uh, we encourage you to head over there and check everything out, particularly as we are headed towards the holiday season. There's some exciting activities and things that you'll find there uh, with regard to special events in December. So these are not our regular broadcast dates, but special events that are happening. And you'll want to check that out. In fact, I encourage you to go and look at that card. Those of you that are church members should have all received an email, as well as a text pointing you to that with a flyer, all those things, but go and check out the actual card at newarcupc.info. If you do that, that way you won't be confused in any way by what is happening and uh, how everything is, is operating in December. We're closing out our food drive for Thanksgiving. In fact, I think we sent our first contribution in, but if you really want to get in on that and we'll go over and make a contribution there we can send that over to the delaware food bank and help for thanksgiving but you need to do it quickly because thanksgiving is hard upon us all right tonight we have with us brother desi lugo uh is this back to back you're doing wednesday nights desi this is somehow i drew straws or something and i end up doing it two weeks in a row all right. Well, I think we can tolerate Desi for two weeks in a row. Well, I'm glad you can tolerate me, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we Not that are... you're appreciative or that we're excited. Oh, no. We're just, we'll just, just tolerate, tolerate me for two weeks in a row. That's right. We'll, we'll tolerate you. We have changed topics. And so we are in a new topic this this uh, next two weeks, in fact, this week and, and next week, uh, this theme of you fool, which is the concept that the Bible, when it calls us to a Christian walk, from the world's viewpoint of wisdom, doesn't, it looks doesn't foolish. Seem so smart. It doesn't. And uh, so, Desi, I'm going to mute myself and get out of the way and let you introduce your topic, and then I'll be back with questions. And okay. uh, so, folks, about 30 minutes in, we'll start calling for your questions on the chat. And uh, Desi and I look forward to fielding those as well. So, Desi, take it away. Sure. Thank you so much. So let me say before I even go in, I am one of the people in the church who is financial stewardship as things come in. And so this last week, we were counting up the offerings and the donations that have come in over the last two weeks. And I just want to publicly thank our Newark family for the outpouring of support that you have given towards the Delaware Food Bank. You heard Pastor Stephen just say that if you get it in, now we do mean in the next day or two, because We've already sent a check and we're, if we anything else we do, we'd have to send it immediately to the food bank as they prepare for their Thanksgiving. But collectively, as a church family, I wanted to compliment all of you because as a church family this year, we gave just a little bit over $1,000 to the Delaware Food Bank. That's $1,055. And I thank you for that. Last year, I think it was somewhere around 750. So even in this time of COVID and downturn and people with job situations being a little more dicey, in your generosity, you gave even more this year than you did last year. And I want to compliment you on that because all of that that came in and was marked for the food bank, we turn around and we send it right back out. We don't keep any of that. And it's just a chance for us to help and work in our local community. And while we'd love to prepare meals, this is a food bank that does this every single day and they're even more efficient than us. And so in this instance, we can do more by giving them a financial gift than we can by donating cans of food or something like that. So thank you for your generous support of the Delaware Food Bank. We are confident that they are going to put it to good use this year, helping to feed families in need at Thanksgiving time. Now, having said that, let's go ahead and turn our attention. Today is Wednesday night. It's November 18th, 2020. And as Pastor Stephen said, this week and all of next week, we're talking about this idea of you fool. And this is coming from the scripture, specifically out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And I'm going to read it to you out of the New Living Translation. And it says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think that you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. And so tonight, as we go into this topic, I have the pleasure of doing a topic tonight on modesty. 
Yes, you heard that right on modesty. And so tonight I want to spend a little bit of time talking and then I want to do some interaction and some Q&A from our audience as we talk about the foolishness of modesty. Now, this is kind of an odd topic to do for a live Wednesday night Bible study, and I will let you in on something. When we were laying out the topics for these two weeks, I volunteered for this one. You heard that I wanted to pick this topic when we outlaid the different things that we were going to talk about, because I believe that this is an important topic. It's core to Christian living. And unfortunately, I think it's a topic that many of us don't have if you'll allow me, forgive me to say it this way, a mature, a robust biblical understanding of the topic. And so I thought tonight would be a good opportunity for us to have a conversation about these principles around modesty. And I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag right up front. It's actually more than modesty. Really what we're talking about when we get at the biblical idea of modesty is moderation. And so while this is the foolishness of modesty, what we're really getting at in principle is the idea of moderation. Now, if I just say to you the word modesty, and you're thinking in a, especially let's say a Christian concept, a church concept, and I tell you like I just did that we're going to do a Bible study tonight, we're going to talk about modesty. Where does your mind tend to go at first? I'll give you a moment to think about that. Although I can probably guess for many of you what you probably went to when I said modesty. Because often what we tend to think of, and unfortunately, most of the time in a church environment, when we talk about modesty, we immediately drive at apparel. What we wear are clothes. And we tend to park there. And that is part of modesty. I'm not denying that. But it's like that's as far as we go. And we act as if, as Bible teachers, if we've talked about, you know, the importance of having modest apparel, that we've somehow covered this biblical principle. And that couldn't be further from the truth, because there's so much more to it. Because modesty is not just about apparel. Please, please hear me say this. Modesty is not just about your apparel. So if some of you are getting nervous. Let me put you at ease. I am not tonight going to talk about how revealing clothing is or how tight clothing is, and what you should or shouldn't be wearing. If you think that's where we're going, you've missed the point already. So I need you to refocus. You got to pay attention to them that have ears to hear, as Jesus said in the Gospels. I want you to listen with your ears and also your heart open to what the Bible actually says about this topic. Yes, it includes our apparel, but it's so much bigger than that. And if we come up for air, We'll realize that very quickly. Let's start with two passages that most people tend to associate with modesty because they are there. I'm going to make these two passages plain, and then we're going to move on from there. The first one comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and I'm specifically going to read out of the New Living Translation throughout tonight. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul says, in every place of worship, so think church setting. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy, and I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. And probably the other passage that many of us are familiar with is something that Peter wrote. And so out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, again reading out of the New Living Translation, it says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles or expensive jewelry or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. So let me be clear up front. Those are two passages. I could give you more. Those are probably the two most well-known passages when we think of modesty and it comes to apparel. The Bible is clear. And while the passages are directed specifically at women, it applies to all of Christianity. So it's men as well, that if we profess to be disciples of Christ, then we should reflect modesty in our apparel. Our clothing should bring glory and honor to God. 
but modesty is so much more than this. So tonight I want to take that. I'm going to take that as a given. Yes, you should be modest in your appearance, but now let's move beyond that to talk about some other biblical principles of modesty, really principles of moderation that I feel that many times we don't spend enough time talking about in a church environment. Now, if we just take a step back for a moment and we think about the word modesty, even in a modern context, just in regular popular everyday use, although the word modesty is not popular, you'll realize that modesty applies more to apparel. We could talk about someone's job and they could say, oh, I make a modest income. Or someone could be talking about the neighborhood they live in and they say that I have a modest house. And contextually, you immediately know what they mean when they say something like that. When someone says that they have a modest income or they say that they live in a modest house, those are just two examples. You could probably think of other ways that you could use modest as an adjective before a description of something. What we're saying is that it's somewhere probably in the middle. It's not too fancy, but it's not terrible either. I make a modest income. I don't make a ton of money, but we're doing good. We're okay. Our needs are met. I'm not starving. I'm not worried about paying my bills. It's a reasonable amount. See, in those contexts, we can think of the word modesty, and we recognize that in that sense, modesty probably has more to do with moderation in the idea that something is roughly somewhere in the middle. And so when we look at modesty that way, that actually puts us in a better frame of mind to think about what modesty represents in the scriptures all throughout the New Testament. One more caveat before we jump into some scriptures. Please, please, please understand at its root, at its core, the biblical principle of modesty, or put differently, the biblical principle of moderation is not attention seeking. Let me repeat that. The biblical principle of modesty and the biblical principle of moderation are not attention seeking. And when we truly understand that, when we really grasp this concept that part of my life in Christ is that I live modestly, in other words, I don't seek attention, then modesty will stop being just about apparel. And modesty will start being about a lifestyle, and it'll start being about the way that our actions are carried out in every aspect of our life. So I'm going to share my screen. Before the broadcast, I went ahead and I copied and pasted out of the New Living Translation several passages, and I put them in a Word document, and I'm going to put this up on the screen. So my face is going to disappear for just a little while in this broadcast, and instead, we're going to look at this document and see these scriptures. Now, let's come down here and let's talk about the world's view of life versus life in Christ. So here's two passages that I just want to point out. Key phrase is going to be highlighted in yellow highlight. First John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 says, do not love this world nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving. And yes, John is going to go on to describe some things. But if you get nothing else out of this passage, remember this. The world offers you cravings. And that's very deliberate in its wording. It doesn't say satisfaction. Cravings always leave you wanting more. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and in our possessions. And these are not from the Father, but are from this world. Now, I could probably stop the Bible study right there tonight, and we'd have enough to think about and probably go reprint and pray over living in North America and a very affluent nation. Because we are very proud of our possessions collectively as a society, and oftentimes many, uh, many times even as North American Christians. But John made it clear that that does not come from God. A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, the gimmies, if you've got small children, right? Pride in what we have accomplished and in what we own. That's a world's point of view, not God's point of view. 
First John chapter two, verse 17 says, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So even without going any farther, we recognize that there's some kind of contrast that John is making between the way that the world looks at things and the way that Christians should look at things. Okay, that's John. He's not the only one who talks about that. Let's jump over to Paul. Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy specifically, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, and they're scoffing at God, and they're disobedient to their parents, and they're ungrateful, and they will consider nothing sacred. If you look at the world's idea of humor, if you look at what Hollywood produces as quote-unquote comedy, that alone ought to prove to you that we live in the last days. Nothing is sacred anymore. Verse 3, they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Notice the highlight. So John said that the world offers you only cravings. And then Paul makes it clear in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the world has no self-control. They will be cruel and they will hate what is good. They will betray their friends and they will be reckless and they will be puffed up with pride and they will love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Isn't that an amazing description of the last days? That people will have no self-control and they'll be cruel. And he goes on to list all these sins. And yet at the same time as they do that, they will act religious. And Paul says, stay away from those people. While they act religious, they deny the very power from God that could change their life. So that's how the world is described. But in contrast to the world, let's now look at two passages that describe the way that a Christian should live. Because again, we're talking about a worldly viewpoint versus life in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 says, So, Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. I just read to you a passage out of 2 Timothy chapter 3 that said the world has no self-control. But Peter says that we should prepare our minds and we should exercise self-control. Put all of your hope into the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's, ready for this, obedient children. We must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. See that? Lack of self-control, satisfying own desires, for the world offers only a craving. You've seen how these are all interrelated. In contrast to that, don't slip back into your old ways of living that satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. And the biblical concept of holiness is separation from the world and being separated to God. You've detached yourself from the world and the way you used to live. And now you point and you aim yourself towards God. And as you walk towards God, that is an act of holiness. You separate yourself from the world and separate yourself to God. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And then Peter had more to say about this. Second Peter, now we're in chapter one of second Peter verses five through seven says, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith. And now he's gonna list the chain of events that we supplement our faith with. So we take faith and then we make faith stronger. My words, we're gonna fortify our faith with these things. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness. Notice the chain. 
And what's in the middle of that chain? It's self-control. We want to be morally excellent and we want to have knowledge. And in the middle, we want to have self-control. And then along with our self-control, we want patient endurance and godliness. And so these five things that we supplement our faith with right in the middle of this is the idea of self-control. And that's opposite from the way the world lives. Remember, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the world has no self-control, but we are called to self-control. Verse 7, and then we add godliness and brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Self-control is a key aspect of the Christian life. Put differently, if we profess to be disciples of Christ, then we must live a discipled life. We must live a disciplined life in contrast to the way that the world lives. Almost done with reading, but I want to read to you just four more passages that describe the New Testament picture of a Christian life. So I've been talking to you about how we are to live with self-control in opposite to the world that is full of cravings and has no self-control. But what does our life actually look like? I don't know if you've ever linked these scriptures together. It might surprise you with what you see that emerges. Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 says, do everything, everything without complaining and arguing. Ouch. So that no one can criticize you. Live a clean, innocent life as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Philippians calls us to live a clean, innocent life. First Peter chapter two, verses 15 through 17 says, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free and yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God, respect the king. We don't live in a monarchy. So today I would say government that includes our president and our national officials, that includes our governor and our mayor and our local officials. It says that we are to fear God and respect civil leadership. We are to live an honorable life so it silences people who'd make accusations against us. We're to live a clean, innocent life so that way no one can criticize us. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Not just pray for your Christian brothers and sisters. It says pray for all people and ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. That means you implore God on behalf of them, even when they're not praying. Likely, especially if it's someone outside the Christian community, they don't even know to pray. And so the scripture calls on us to intercede, to step in on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a biblical statement. There is a clear mandate in scripture, and I didn't even pull all the scriptures on this topic, that talk about our responsibility as Christians to pray for our leadership, to be respectful and kind to them, and to honor them, and to be obedient to civil authority. And before you get too mad at me and you say, well, what about our current fill in the blank and -and so-and-so doesn't live a Christian life, and that's not even right. Keep in mind that the New Testament authors, John and Peter and Paul, who wrote these commandments, lived under a Roman empire with men like Caligula and Nero. And you can go look them up later, do a little Google search, read a Wikipedia article, see what kind of emperors were alive at the time of the New Testament apostles. And you will see no matter what leader you look at in North America today, and no matter how vile and evil and wicked and dishonorable before God you think they are, they don't hold a candle to the ancient world. And yet in that ancient world, the apostles talked about praying for those leaders and being honorable and respectful to them. Notice why? So we can live a peaceful and quiet life. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands 
just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Let me see if I can get all the highlight. Yeah, there we go on one screen right now. Notice Philippians 2 says to live a clean, innocent life. 1 Peter 2 says to live an honorable life. 1 Timothy 2 says to live a peaceful and quiet life. And 1 Thessalonians 4 says to live a quiet life. Are you getting the common theme here? And notice that in all of these passages, we do this so that way when the world looks at us, they won't be able to criticize us. They won't be able to slander us. It will silent their ignorance, their ignorant and foolish accusations against us. And I'll stop sharing my screen now. See, all throughout the New Testament, and there were more passages, but I didn't want to just read scripture for half an hour straight. I read plenty of scripture already. All throughout the New Testament, we see this call to live differently from the world and to recognize that the world is full of cravings and desires that are never satisfied, and they live without abandon. They live without restraint. They live without self-control. But you, as a disciple of Christ, are called to live with self-control. And as you live with self-control, you're to live peacefully. You're to live honorably. You're to live a nice, quiet life. So when people will look at you, they'll respect what you are and see something different. To get a full picture of this, and I'm going to try and do this very, very quickly because I don't have time to unpack it. You have to understand household requirements in the ancient world, especially the Roman world. The father figure, the male, the head of the household was dominant. And by right and legally, he had full control of his wife and children, what he did at home, whether or not they were abused, how well they were fed, how well they were taken care of was entirely at his disposal. And in essence, there was nothing that prohibited him in acting any way he wanted to. And so often you got lots of abuse and dominance that went with that because he was the head of the household. And as the male head of the household, he got away with anything. Wives and all females were totally subservient to men and way down here, they were not expected to learn. They were not expected to think, they were expected to work and keep a house. Children were expected to be obedient and do whatever their parents said. And we haven't even gotten to slavery and a whole slave system in the Roman empire that wasn't based on your ethnicity, it was based on conquered nations. And I dominate you. We beat you in war. Now I own you. You are less human than I am. And the proof is that my nation beat your nation in conquest. And so now you belong to me and you will do what I say. And into this environment steps Christianity. And Paul and Peter and the other New Testament apostles talk about husbands loving their wives and elevating them and wives respecting their husband and honoring them and children being obedient to their parents. And likewise, parents being kind to their children and not being abusive to them and not talking down to them and not inciting their children to anger. Slaves being respectful of their masters and doing everything with a heart full of gladness and doing everything to honor God. And likewise, slave owners, Christians who had slaves, you are to treat your slaves as a fellow brother or sister in Christ. They flipped the world upside down. They took the entire Roman system of household rules and turned it on its head. And then on top of that, they said, you live modestly. You don't draw attention to yourself. You live a peaceful, honorable, quiet life. And when you live that way, people will not be able to criticize you. They will not be able to slander you. And if they try, they're just going to look foolish and ignorant. And instead, people are going to be drawn to your lifestyle. This is the New Testament concept of modesty. So yes, apparel is part of it. But it's so much more than that. Because modesty, or the word I'm going to use for the rest of this lesson, moderation, doesn't draw attention to itself. Moderation in a biblical sense, is a disciplined lifestyle that endeavors to live somewhere in the middle in a peaceful, quiet way. Moderation is not on one extreme or the other. Moderation finds a disciplined balance somewhere in the middle that is led by the Holy Spirit that is attractive to all people. Moderation doesn't give itself to extremes. So moderation is more than apparel. Moderation means that it affects your money. Moderation means that it affects how you treat others. 
how you carry yourself, how you interact with others. Because the biblical concept of moderation is the idea that I don't draw attention to myself. I am not self-serving. I am not self-seeking. And there's plenty other scriptures to go with it. But again, I didn't want to just read scripture for a straight 30 minutes. The idea is that counterintuitively, when we do not draw attention to ourselves, when we are not self-seeking, people are drawn to us. But as they're drawn to us, what they're drawn to is our lifestyle and our godliness and the light of the spirit that shines through us. And so they don't just see us, they see Christ living in us. See, when we don't live in moderation, when we live as the world, we're attention seeking and we're saying, notice me, look at me and people may notice you, but all they're going to see is you. But when you live a moderate lifestyle where you are not trying to draw attention to yourself, people are still going to see you, but even better, they're going to see Christ. They're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. They're going to see husband and wives who honor and love and respect each other. They're going to see parents and children who are obedient to each other. And likewise, the parent is kind to the child. They're going to see we don't have you know, master and slave relations, but we do have work relations. And so they're going to see employees and employers who respect each other. And the employee puts in a good, honest day's wage or a good, honest day's work. And an employer who respects the employee and treats them with dignity and pays them a good, honest day's wage. And so people are drawn to this lifestyle. Let me give you a few principles about modesty. I'm already over the half hour mark, so I'm going to go quick. You can go ahead and begin to submit your questions if you haven't done this yet. As I was preparing for this lesson, I was trying to think of some little kernels I could put in there. Maybe these will help you think of moderation in a different way. First off, I hope by now that you recognize that moderation is a posture. It's a mentality. It is not just what you wear. It's not even just how you act. It's how you think and how you process and view the world. So get this. Moderation is a posture. It's a mentality. Secondly, this only comes with maturity and it has to flow out of the heart. In order to really get this concept, you've got to talk to God about it. There's going to be some soul searching that's involved with this concept. And it will come as the spirit leads and guides you into all truth. It comes with Christian maturity. And this kind of moderation flows from the inside outward. Yes, it affects my outward appearance, but it starts in my heart. And then it works its way outward to my appearance. Number three, and this one's key, real moderation, biblical New Testament moderation, is all about the why and not the what. Let me repeat that. It's all about the why and not the what. Because real moderation is going to check your motivations. Real moderation is not concerned with what I'm doing or what I wear or what I spend my money on. Real moderation is going to be introspective. And when I look in the mirror, I'm going to ask myself, Desi Lugo, why do you want to do that? Desi Lugo, why do you want to wear that? Desi Lugo, why do you want to buy that or own that or go there or do this or fill in the blank? And I'm going to start asking myself why question because I want to check my motivation in my heart and make sure that my motives are pure, not just my actions. A newer Christian, someone with a less developed concept of this is going to be more concerned with the what. What can I do? What can I not do? What can I wear? What can I not wear? Where can I go? Where can I not go? What can I say? What can I not say? And the more we mature in Christ, the more we begin to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Not in the sense of, I don't understand what I'm doing, but as a self-regulated check, are my motives pure? Is my heart right before God? Number four, I got six of these and then Stephen, I'm done. Number four, moderation impacts all areas of our life. When we really get this concept, and it becomes a posture and a lifestyle, then moderation is not just about my clothes. 
Moderation is not just about my income and how I spend my money. Moderation is not just about my lifestyle. Moderation is not about keeping up with the Jones. It's not about where I vacation. It's not about what I engage in. It's not about what circles I run in. It's not about my social influence. It impacts all areas of my life as I learn to live a quiet, peaceable, honorable life that's pleasing to God. And this is where it gets sticky and challenging because you'll notice I have not given you any practical advice where I've drawn a line and says, this is okay and this is not. And here's why. This kind of biblical understanding of moderation is highly contextual. And let me explain that. And it makes, and okay, I'm a pastor. So I'm telling you this as a pastor. It makes pastors nervous because I don't regulate it. This kind of understanding of moderation has to be contextual because what is somewhere in the middle in one place may not be somewhere in the middle in another environment. It has to flow out of our heart and we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. And what works in one place is going to look different in another place. I have been blessed to travel across the United States and be in many different church environments. And I have been in church environments that are in more affluent areas. And on Sundays, they tend to dress a lot nicer. And the normal attire for church is to show up in a suit and in a ladies in a nice dress or something like that in your Sunday best apparel. And I've also been in environments in more rural agrarian areas of the country and a more rural farm community in a church. And I've been places where people wore their good pair of bib overalls to church on Sunday morning. And it was their good pair. That means it didn't have tears in it and it wasn't dirty. And for them, those were their nice Sunday go to meet and clothes. So if I'm in an environment where the average church member, the average working blue collar man or farmer wears his good bib overalls to church, I'm going to look really, really out of place. And it's not going to be in moderation if I show up in a really fancy suit. Likewise, in another environment, if I show up in my bib overalls, it's going to look different. And that's going to vary from place to place. And what's moderate for the individual is going to vary. And I'm not saying that you dress only to match the environment. And notice it's about more than dress. But I give those just as examples of how what's moderate is contextual. And it varies from place to place. Let's set a peril aside. Think about houses or the cars you drive. What is an average house or an average car or somewhere in the middle, something moderate in one environment is going to look very, very different than another environment. So we can't just point to everybody else in some of their context and say, oh, that's not moderate or oh, that's not modest. You have to be led of the spirit and it's going to be highly contextual. And then my last point, and Stephen, you can go ahead and rejoin me. Hopefully by now we've got questions. My last point on this as we talk about the biblical concept of moderation is the idea that real moderation, or I'll use the word we used earlier in the lesson, real modesty is not something that you regulate because it flows out of the heart. Even as a pastor and as a church leader, I want you to get this concept of biblical moderation. And once you get it, I don't have to worry about regulating it. If I draw a line and I say everything above this line is acceptable and everything below this line is not acceptable and I have to regulate it, then that means that there's still some maturity and growth that needs to happen in individuals because they're not being led of the spirit and it's not flowing out of their heart. Now, there are times as a pastor and as a leader that, yes, we have to draw boundaries. I'm not saying that we never draw boundaries. But as you continue to go grow in Christ, you shouldn't need to constantly come back to your leadership in your life and say, is this activity is acceptable? Is, is it OK if I do this? Is it OK if I wear this? Is it OK if I say this? As you're growing in your understanding, by all means, seek guidance and counsel. But as you mature in Christ, it'll flow from the heart. And as it flows from the heart. You will need less and less regulation as the spirit leads you more and more and more. And I have never met anyone who professes to be a disciple of Christ, who is actively drawing closer to Christ, who is being led by the spirit, who is getting less and less modest, who is getting less and less moderate. It always works the other way. As we're more and more led by the spirit, we begin to lead a more and more honorable 
peaceable, quiet, moderate life. All right. So Desi, let me and everybody will sure. know because uh, I they have the chat in front of them while you do not. I don't. Is, I have no idea where the chat comments are. This is going to be a question coming from me, so let me own it up front. And, okay. And I don't want to. I don't want to derail because we have a couple of other very good questions that I want to have time for. But you you mentioned in in speaking of modesty, and when we use the word modesty, immediately we go to clothes. Okay, that's mm -hmm. that's the way we have been geared. It is right. a mistake. It is. It's like uh, it's part of it, but it's not right. the whole thing. And so it's we take like, this little tiny slice of it and act like that's what the biblical concept is talking about. It's like that's every time we talk about food, everybody says, oh, he's talking about oatmeal. Right. OK, oatmeal's right. a part of food, but there's a lot more to food than oatmeal. And there's a lot more to moderation than just what we exactly. Wear. And so there's that second word, which is modesty is this concept of moderation. Then you used another term. And okay. this other term, this other term I'd like to apply to our American way of looking at life. Uh oh. And I'm and I'm 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 teeing you up in one sense, but I'm also I'm not asking you, I'm not gonna come back with a follow-up. I'm gonna tee it up and let you sure. go where you feel to go, which is you mentioned this other word of self-discipline. How do you see in this whole lesson that you've explained and that you have that you've brought to us, this word self-discipline in contrast to my rights? <laughs> and then I'm not going to touch it any further, but okay. I think there's an intersection here. And I there think there's a biblical is. intersection here that given the season that we're in, it might be appropriate for us to layer this in because it almost seems to me like moderation, self-discipline might have something to do with how we live this quiet and peaceable life as Christians, even in the midst of this cacophonous season that we're right in the middle of. So that's my cue. I'm not going to come back okay. to a follow up sure. where you want to take it. All right. And I'll probably take it a little bit different than you would, which is fine. So first off, how does a fish describe water? It's a thought exercise that demonstrates it wouldn't be able to. It's what it lives in. And culture is extremely difficult to recognize and to talk about when you live in it, because it's the very air you breathe. It's everything that's around you. It's the way you think. And in North America, we are very blessed to live in a nation that values autonomy and independence and the individual. And there's good in that. I'm not opposed to that. But there are excesses that come with that, just like there are excesses that come in any other government system or any other culture. And the excess is where we become so self-focused and inward that it's easy to develop this indignation that says my individual rights always come first. And what I want is most important. And I look out for myself. And that's very American. I'm going to own that outright. That's very American. It's not very biblical. In fact, it's, it's counter to what we see in scripture. I find an interesting example in the apostle Paul, who we read in scripture that he was a Roman citizen and we think, okay, Paul was a citizen. And we we oftentimes, unless we slow down and we've studied the ancient world, we don't realize what a big deal that was because Roman citizenship was a small select group of people. Just because you lived in the Roman empire did not mean you were a citizen, hardly so. There's a small select group of people who are citizens and Paul is one of those. That means he comes from a family of affluence and a family of means. It means there are special rights that are preserved for him that are not extended to everybody else in the Roman Empire unless they're citizens. And we see Paul lay this down. And we see Paul live, in essence, homeless as he travels from place to place itinerantly preaching. We see Paul end up repeatedly in jail. We see Paul constantly putting the needs of others first instead of evaluating and putting himself first in his rights. So if I can take a principle that I see there and then apply it to today, 
not just in our current situation right now as we're dealing with a pandemic and political upheaval and, 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 but all throughout life. As a North American, as an American in particular, I have to do some self-regulation and self-checking at times when, when I start to bow up and I get frustrated at things and I have to think, okay, is this really about me or is there a deeper biblical principle that I need to you know, keep at the forefront of my mind? And sometimes, even though I'm right and even though I have a right, my biblical example says that I lay this down. So maybe I have a right to speak out. Maybe I have a right not to participate. Maybe I have a right to participate and fill in the blank. Maybe I have a right to voice my objections. Maybe I have a right to make my case known. It doesn't always mean that it's a good thing to do. I take you back to our scriptures tonight. and I read four of them where scripture explicitly states that as Christians, we are to live honorable, peaceable, quiet lives. I read two different passages that talked about living quiet lives. That is not very American. And so it can be hard for us to do. Yes, we Americans do tend to be quite loud, do we not? Mm -hmm. In fact, we are known around the world, having traveled internationally, we are known around the world as being loud. And there are a number of things tied up in that loudness. We expect and it's not just volume. That's right. That we expect the world to conform to us. And uh, I are one. And yet Christ, so are has, I. Called, <laughs> Christ has called me to, if I am to be his disciple, right. to deny self. Self is American. He says, well, I need you to deny self. Take up a cross. Go where I go. Follow me wherever I go. Yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge for us. It, it absolutely is a real challenge for us. Yes. All right. So let me let me from that. And thank you, Desi. I, again, folks, this Bible say I didn't preview this. I didn't know. But as I listened, I, I really thought it spoke to that. And so I don't get to participate in the questions very often. But I, I wanted to give Desi a chance. You wanted to ask a question. I wanted sure. to ask a question. I wanted it. I wanted it there. And I and I'm purposefully constraining my comments that I'm not going to comment any further on it, deal with it any further. I just wanted you to hear Desi's answer in the context of this lesson regarding this quiet, peaceable, godly, honorable, honorable life. life. In other words, citizens of heaven, first and foremost, above and beyond citizens of whatever nation we happen to have come from culturally or live in currently. So another question that comes, um, okay. which is, uh, and I think this is interesting, given the, the what's the difference between excitement and boasting? Now, I, I'm reading that question without putting the person on blast. They're on blast because everybody can see it. I'm reading. That I can't. Question. So don't tell me who asked. Right. The question. It has to do something with personality, perhaps has to do with just ways of expression, things like that. But talk about the difference between that, because excitement certainly does draw attention but it would seem to me it might be a little bit different than boasting. Talk sure. about that. Okay, so let's talk about this. So first off, let's recognize that excitement bears itself out differently in different people and their personalities. Some people are very excited and it's just like a warm, radiant face with a big smile. And other people are excited. <laughs> They're just like this almost, you know, you can visibly see it. And and so there's a spectrum there that that is a reflection of personality. It was a really good impersonation of Kendall. <laughs> my middle child, my middle son, Kendall. Um, he tends to be more on this end when he gets yeah. excited. And that's okay. There's nothing. He gets wrong it all from Desi, folks. That's where it came oh, yeah, from. Yeah, because I'm a very, very energetic, demonstrative person, as you can see through these many broadcasts. So some of that is a reflection of personality. So let's grant that. And then people have that. And when we're excited, we do draw attention to things. That's part of being excited. But let's talk about boasting. And the key difference in my mind is motivation. So let me go back to so one of the why. principles that I talked about, principle number three, is the why. When you get this principle, you will stop asking what questions and you'll start asking why questions Oops. because it goes back to motivation. Yep. And nobody, understand, I have no idea who asked the question. I don't wanna know. I'm not giving a critique. 
I'm challenging us all to grow in this area because when we boast, and it's interesting, that's the word that was used. A boast is about drawing attention to me. I boast so other people will notice me. I boast so other people will see what I have done. Boasting says, look at me. Whereas excitement may cause someone to look at you. But typically when you're excited, you're saying, look at this, look at this, look at this. Isn't this so cool? So the intention and the motivation is not look at me. It's I'm really ecstatic about filling the blank. And I want you to see this too. Whereas boasting says, look at what I've done. So it's about motivation. So me might even still be in the picture, but motivation distinguishes between what is the ultimate goal. And therein lies the squishiness, if you will, very theological term there for you all, the squishiness. So we jump down to principle five about how this is contextual and it varies from application to application and from environment to environment, which I hope you caught this. I said it multiple times. This is why it must be spirit led because only God knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And I can't read your thoughts. I'm thinking of Hebrews and I can't 4.12. Your heart. That's exactly, I was just thinking of Hebrews 4.12 for the word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That's a whole topic. Mm -hmm. Joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent. The intent, or my word, motivation. The why. Exactly. The why of the heart. All right, perfect. You talked about the power of the Spirit. So another question was, when it comes to becoming more Christ-like, and obviously in particular mm -hmm. to our topic tonight, this area of moderation or self-discipline yeah. of modesty, how much of this is by our own will and how much is through the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a great question because it's a combination of the two. So for it to take place in your life, you have to want this. You have to read the scripture. It needs to convict you and quicken you and draw you towards God. But then you have to respond. So there's an onus on you that says, I, I want this. There's an onus on you that says, I want to draw closer to God. And so I've got to be willing to make some changes. But then there's also a recognition that this change is really only going to happen through the power of the Spirit. You can't do this on your own. I read to you two different passages where it talks about the world and how the world only offers cravings. And I know there's a list there, but I purposely paused right there because that's the key. The world will offer you cravings. By default, cravings are not satiated. They're not satisfied. And the world has no self-control. So if left to your own devices, you will always want more. That's the craving part. And you will have no self-control. See, it's through the regenerative power, the redeeming power, the heart-changing, mind-transforming power of the Holy Spirit that we live this weird middle way where we're not excessive on one or the other. Now, when we think of excess, we tend to think of, you know, way too flashy or blingy or immodest in apparel or spending too much money or something. There's a ditch on the other side too. You know, the monastic lifestyle that calls you to separate yourself from the world. And, you know, I don't walk around in, we don't even have a modern real equivalent of this, but sackcloth and ashes, you know, the idea that my clothes are always dour and frumpy and they're so ridiculously understated that they still draw lots of attention to themselves. I don't walk around looking dirty and in shredded, ragged clothes like I'm homeless because I want to appear humble. That's still attention seeking. Mm -hmm. You've just fallen off the ditch on the other side. A biblical life is one of moderation where it's not excessive on either end because remember, it's the excess that draws attention to itself. And somewhere, in the middle, led by the power of the Holy Spirit, it has to be Holy Spirit led, is where we as Christians are called to live, where we don't draw attention to ourselves. And one of the challenges that we at Newark um, are called to is to be a unique place of diversity, which means mm -hmm. that there are going to be, Regina commented earlier, where the diversity, when you use dress as an example, meaning getting right. dressed for church, is that there are different 
if you will, levels or modes or ways of, uh, of dress that are occurred where not anyone is sidelined. And right. so there's, there's this ability when you, and the, here's the contextual element that Desi talked about, which is in our context, we have people that are going to come in their best overalls and we have people that are going to come in their suit. And if you've ever noticed, one of the things that I have specifically done as a pastor, and I want to come back to the boast, because I'm going to use myself as an example, and then I'm going to ask you to consider, am I boasting? What's the motivation? I will vary my dress from service to service. Mm -hmm. Some services right. I know I dress to the nines. I'm in a nice suit. I have a tie on. I know how to do it well. Everything's good. Other times I come and I'm dressed in nothing but shirt and slacks. I've even preached that way. I've preached. For I've seen you come to church in a t-shirt and, you know, like gym pants. Absolutely. I've taught right. a Wednesday night class exactly that way. Part of that is varying as a leader that's very visible, varying so that, that I am, as Paul said, I am all things to all people that I might by all means win some. And so there's part of the boasting piece uh, my wife also comments, she's really smart tonight, I, I've noticed she's got some really good comments, that boasting usually includes not just lifting up of self, but it includes putting down of another. Usually there's a comparison. Look at how awesome I am compared to fill in the exactly. blank. Exactly. As opposed to, I think Paul, that Desi's used a lot tonight, gives us great example of where Paul at times will, he'll hold himself up but he'll hold himself up as an example, not putting anyone else down, but rather saying, look, I need to exemplify to you what I'm trying to express to you. And the person that I can best do that with at this point without offending or causing offense to anyone is myself. But then he always pulls it back from it being about him to it being an example of what Christ is doing within him. Yeah. And now we're getting back to the why and the motivation. Uh, and let, let me tag on to there real quick, just because you mentioned Paul. I didn't explicitly say this, but I hope you notice as I read passages from Timothy and from Titus and from Peter and from John, and from Thess Thessalonians, et cetera, et cetera. And I was bouncing around. Part of that was on purpose to demonstrate this isn't just a Apostle Paul shtick that he was stuck on. Peter, no, Peter addresses this. Absolutely. John addresses this. Paul addresses this. I didn't go there, but Jesus talks about it. this is thoroughly a New Testament biblical principle that's all over the place. Peter's the one with the inner modesty that's supposed to come out right. of the inner man, which you touched right. on. Absolutely. Right. And then secondly, this is specific to apparel. And again, our oatmeal conversation. Yes, oatmeal is a food. It's not all foods. And we were drawn back to the apparel part because it's very visible. And so it's easy to talk about apparel. But in our local church context, being a diverse population, we have African brothers and sisters, like literally immigrants from Africa who attend our church. And their traditional garb tends to be brighter and more pattern oriented and if i can use this term louder in some Absolutely. senses than many north american fabrics i think it's really neat and really cool and so when my african brother or sister shows up to church in this really bright colorful patterned attire that is normal attire for their ethnic background that is moderation for them i show up dressed like that as an Anglo-North American, and you're probably going to wonder, why is he doing that? And maybe I might have a specific purpose. There's been times where Stephen and Regina have come back from an African missions trip, and so they wore some of the clothes that were given to them when they were there. It served a specific purpose. They weren't doing it to say, look at me. And so understand, even with apparel, you have to leave it contextualized because it's going to vary from person to person. Absolutely. And the broader the diversity of the group of believers that you're a part of, the more variance you're going to have in what this looks like. There you go. And that was the point I wanted to draw out for all of us. And uh, you all have seen, Regina and I, at certain points, wear African garb. And I will tell you, most of our brothers and sisters from Africa, when they wear their clothes, there is much louder clothes coming from their context. Uh, and even the last time you saw me in African garb, I was wearing my Pepto-Bismol pink suit. Why was I wearing it? I didn't want attention, but I had a little girl who just found such pleasure in her pastor in a Pepto-Bismol pink suit. 
and I had promised her since she liked pink that I would wear it one more time before I put it back in the closet. In Africa, I was showing massive respect to them that I would wear this extremely loud and vibrant suit. <laughs> you see, Here in North America, I would not wear that every week. Sorry, folks, it's just not going to happen. It draws too much attention to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one final question, and then we're kind of out of time, Desi. Okay. Um, this question was, I've always tried to explain to my children the pitfalls of fame, actors, singers, etc. You mentioned avoiding the attitude of look at me. And again, not just about clothes, but even about fame, about what this are involves your, your lifestyle. It involves the house exactly. you live in. It involves the clothes you wear, where you eat, the car you drive. That's a totally different topic. I don't understand why North Americans tie their identity and value to their vehicle, but I digress. But what are your thoughts about being a Christian celebrity? Okay, is that not an oxymoron of terms right there? We just said, oh my word. And there are Christians out there who are doing incredible things for God and they have a public platform. And they are using that public platform for God's glory. But I can think of some people who have that public platform and who detest the label Christian celebrity because they, they see what an oxymoron that is. Mm -hmm. People who are famous for being famous, it's an entirely different role. People who have a public platform and who are using that public platform to advance the kingdom of God, and then they are very quick to sidestep or to you know step back or draw attention away from themselves. People you'll see in a public platform who are, this is about what I'm doing for the kingdom of God versus people who have a public platform and it's look at what God's doing. Do you see the subtle difference there, but an important difference there? I am not going to name names, but you can think of people who are Christian celebrities and have a public platform and they continue to suck attention to themselves and what they're doing in God's kingdom. And there are people in Christendom who have a public platform and who might be labeled a quote unquote Christian celebrity. But when you listen to them, they're constantly deflecting and saying, look at what God is doing. And there is a world of difference. One of the things the way those do, people are approaching things. One of the things too, is do they ever use that platform to lift up others? Mm. Do they ever share? And that's a great barometer. And by the way, folks, Desi and I were talking before the broadcast. None of us in this life, even with the power of the Holy Spirit, are going to get this perfectly right. No, Daily, no, no, you don't. Attacking. Right. Zigzag. We get it right this way and we you stop. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And remember, it's contextual. So it's going to keep changing over Absolutely. time and it's going to change from environment to environment you're in. That's why you rules don't work. Relationship does. If it's rules, you're going to get fixed on one point and you're going to get out of balance. If it's relationship, then the, the, the spirit can lead and guide you and you can continue to mature and grow and tack. Does that mean there aren't fixed points? No, there are fixed points. But even how you, the why of how you approach those fixed points begin to change and mature as you grow as a Christian. And that's why we got to come back to this, this moderation, this self-discipline, this self-denial. Because something matters more than self. Mm -hmm. The kingdom matters more than self. The master of the kingdom matters more than self. My brother and my sister who the master died for matters more than self. Right. My children matter more than self. My spouse matters more than self. And in COVID-19, we've been challenged with this, have we not? Of putting others ahead of self. This is Live a, a clean, innocent life, Philippians That's right. 2. That's right. In this Live an honorable life, 1 Peter 2. Absolutely. 1 Timothy 2, live a peaceful and quiet life. 1 Thessalonians 4, learn to live a quiet life. That's this right. This is a challenge. Absolutely. In this political season, we're facing the same challenge. I'm not sure we Christians should be the ones loudest. Anyway, I think we've 
kind of covered a gamut here, Desi. I thank you for the time there. And I'm real quick going to close out with the announcements by sharing my screen back uh, real okay. quick and draw your attention. If you go to newyorkupc.info, I mentioned the December special events. You want to go there. And if you click on that December special event, you'll see all kinds of things. We've got different things. Couple of movies that we're going to do together, watch parties where we can chat with one another while watching. You can read about them there. We've got also a Chris, hers Christmas lights outing that we do not have to have contact in the sense of getting out of our cars with one another, but we can drive to the hers potato chip factory. They have a great Christmas light show there. So we're yeah. going to be doing that together. You can watch one of our Friday night with friends is actually going to be a bunch of us making gingerbread houses. Oh, you I, don't want to miss that. Yeah. I, us I, includes Steven. Did you hear? You're uh, going to watch Steven decorate a gingerbread house. You you're going to watch Steven. You're going to watch Stephen disrupt every rule that they have set for building this gingerbread house. You don't want to miss it anyway. My point is. And uh, we have another watch party and then our drive through Christmas giving service. And please hear me. It's outside and you're not going to be able to stop. You're not going to be able to get out of your cars. We've got to. You know that the governor has just, if you haven't heard, just put out Monday. There's some restrictions that are tightening back down. What's our response? Are we going to agitate for our rights? Are we going to go riot in the streets? Or are we going to pray? Or are we going to put our brothers and sisters, fellow humans, ahead of self? Are we going to find a way to live quiet and peaceable lives? And so we're going to do all of that. We're going to follow all those rules. We're going to do what we can and let that light shine. So check out that card. My point in showing that to you is check out that card. All the details, the specifics are there, are present. Make yourself available there. Also, I mentioned the Thanksgiving uh, food drive. We do need that to come in the next couple of days. You'll have to do it digitally. I'm sorry if you didn't. If you that's didn't, the, oh, it. yes, that's the only way we can accept it at this point and know that it's coming and get it to the food bank in time. Correct, because we need you to give it over the over the course of either tonight, Thursday, or Friday, so that we can see that it's coming by Saturday, and we can go ahead and get that to them in time for them to be able to use it for. Uh, Thanksgiving. All right. So we wanted to draw that. And I did, Desi, go and look. Our, our offering last year was $756. And this year, as you said, $1,055. So thank you for that. And uh, if you missed that somehow and want to do it, you've got to do it through digital giving. Go to newyorkupc.info. Thank you, everyone, for being with us tonight. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Desi, for a great Bible study. And uh, there's so much more, but I think you got some of the principles. Begin to allow God to work in your hearts and your minds and allow it to live out within your Christian walk. And so God bless everybody. Thanks bless for being you. with us.